0: eight you rolled an eight the design challenge we will be taking upon ourselves today is make the coolest boat Ooh.
1: hello and welcome to roll for topic a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role playing games i'm chris salzman and i'm andy Rao. and this week we have a guest nate b hey nate hi Thanks really for having good me. good to have you here. Thanks. Yeah. Um, thanks for agreeing to this. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited about the topic, and we'll get to that eventually, but I want to know just a little bit about you. Um, so uh, what kind of games do you run?
2: Uh, right now, I am running a sort of West Marches-style 5e game. Ooh. Oh, cool. Yeah, with a bunch of uh, old college friends mixed with some of my newer friends that that all <laughs> sort of coalesce during the pandemic, yeah. virtually. Yeah people across the country and
1: uh it's been a hoop that's super fun yeah so i mean you said west marches i guess like how do you have like a a core crew and then other people kind of filter in here and there or yeah i mean
2: it's almost west marches right i don't think it's quite hits all the marks of west marches but it's it's pretty close. We have the same group of people. Sometimes people show up. Sometimes people can't show up. Uh, mm-hmm. and we have multiple teams that we run. So we have some higher level. We have a higher level group that's been going since the beginning. Sometimes people will duck out. We started a B team. Other people yeah. ducked out. We started a C team. Wow. So we just keep adding teams, starting them at first level for that sort of character funnel. Yeah, it's been fun.
1: That's super great. And then you, you've let us know that you actually try very hard to... I'm gonna say like be mean, but that's not what I mean. like you try to kill characters right
2: well in yeah, in this particular case i I've taken on my own character as the d m yeah and i and that sort of classic killer d m you know where i where I you know chant fumble during clutch moments and <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know am generally antagonistic with with a huge amount of love, like obviously the whole thing is just. A silly joke, but we've enjoyed it. It's a fun dynamic. I mean, you know, people need levity right now, so (laughs) yeah,
1: right. Especially, it's not it's
2: not my last. You know, my last game before this one was was fairly grimdark, so Mm -hmm. it was a nice juxtaposition.
0: What was the role-playing game that kind of got you into the hobby?
2: Oh boy, I think. Well, it was it was D anD D. It was in the early '80s, and I was I think seven or eight years old. Uh, And I got up one Easter morning, you know, expecting uh, stale jelly beans and, and, (laughs) you know, waxy uh, chocolate rabbits. And instead, I I came downstairs and my Easter basket was full of the magenta box set. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that that exploded my brain and changed my life. It was awesome.
0: (laughs) Well, it's always delightful to... um... Have someone on the show who is also playing kind of in the 80s. I, uh, I feel awfully old sometimes chatting with Chris and uh, some of the other guests I have, but... Uh,
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs>
0: I have fond memories of those, uh, those times. That's cool. So uh, are there any other role-playing games besides D&D that kind of uh, stand out to you in your memory as uh, formative experiences or really uh, great memories?
2: Lots of second edition in college. I have fond memories of playing Rifts just because oh, mm-hmm. it was yep. so bonkers. All Flesh Must Be Eaten. I had a really fun campaign, sort of right before pop culture exploded around everything zombie. So I just kind of mm. hit it just right as as the interest was there. And, and, you know, there were smaller projects that were popping up everywhere, but before it sort of got overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And everybody yeah. was really on board. It was super exciting. And one of the few campaigns that just really had like a nice arc and a satisfying cinematic ending. That's such oh, a nice. rare thing to actually have a game end like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Rather
2: than just sort of disappear or implode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's also... Are any of the
1: people that played in that game playing in your current, your current game?
2: No, not at the moment. That was sort of a intermediate group of friends.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. These are sort of like my bookend friends, my very old school friends and my very new school friends coming together.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting, I think, like how different friend groups um, coalesce around different games that you play. Yeah, like I just I just finished playing in a little uh, a short campaign of the one ring where we were all all hobbits was so the we called it the bumbling hobbits campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, was like the people that were in that game were just like delightful, right? Like we don't we don't really hang out that much outside of, you know, gaming here and there, but like it just it came together and everybody was super into, you know, playing this style of game. Um, it was very fun. That's awesome before we get to
2: the
0: design challenge which i'm curious very curious how what's going to come out of our coolest boat idea yeah. but we have a, a new experience here on the podcast because uh guys uh the other day i was sitting out uh sitting out on my porch kind of gazing out across the farm it's the end of a long day you know like i just come in from milking the cows or whatever uh I guess you probably don't do that at the end of the day. I don't actually know.
1: Uh, yeah. It's anyway,
0: I'm sitting on my, uh, my Iowan farm, the front porch and the mailman comes sauntering up, whistling a merry tune. And he's got his mail bag. It's full of yeah. packages and letters and he's handing me my mail. And then as he does, so he's like, well, wait, wait a sec here. I think I got one more thing in here. And he reached in and he pulled out a letter addressed to roll for topic Uh, wow so i said yes sir that's me hand that right over so uh, we have a listener question that i'm going to spring on you guys and we're going to take a couple minutes to discuss just as soon as i dramatically open this this (laughs) (laughs) that is a
1: terrible sound
0: (laughs) okay all right uh here is our listener question dear roll for topic this is from a listener nick I have a player who always wants to play some powerful noble character, like a duke or a king, which seems too powerful for the level one campaign I was planning to run. I'm his only outlet to role-playing games, so even if I don't want him in this particular game, he'll seek me out to play. What should I do? Is he just inexperienced? Am I just inexperienced? And then sign Nick. I am going to toss this out to you, Chris, first. Let's not do super long answers, but I want to hear kind of your gut reaction to this
1: question. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks uh, Nick for writing in. Yeah. I think my gut reaction to this is that like, there's probably nothing wrong with them playing that style of character, but you need to talk with them about like how to integrate that into the story that you're trying to tell. And also make sure that like them being this like noble character is not the most interesting thing that can ever happen to them Mm. in the game that you're playing. If the most interesting thing that's ever going to happen to the character has already happened before you started playing then it's not going to be a fun story. So there has to be somewhere for that character to go. And I would just want to sit down with the, the, um, the player and just sort of define that a little bit and see sort of what they actually want out of the campaign um, with this style of character. Um, yeah. Cause otherwise it's just like, well, okay. So you're, you're super awesome. Like where do you go from there? <laughs> so that's my gut reaction. Nate, how would you uh, answer our listener?
2: Oh boy. Well, I don't, I don't want to read too much into the question, but it, it sounds a little bit like maybe there's more to it. Like maybe this person is also a bit disruptive. You know, mm-hmm. that that style of sort of power play, you know, spotlight focus. Sometimes I've noticed in the past comes along with people that are maybe not necessarily that much fun to play with. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's not the case. But if it is, I don't... If that person is no fun and is no fun for the other people that you're playing with, then really... Confrontation is hard, but maybe maybe you shouldn't play with that person. That's yeah. that's hard, you know, that's dealing with people is is the hardest part, right?
1: <laughs> it's a really good point though, cuz I mean like, you know, that's the sort of thing if you know it's going to be a confrontational experience, sitting down at the table every time, it's like, well, I mean, go ahead and have that confrontation beforehand. <laughs> right, just do it, you know, save everybody sort of the trouble cuz otherwise, right, you're just going to like not enjoy playing and the campaign will fade off into to nothingness. Yeah, those are good points. I,
0: when I think about this, I have kind of two different instincts. One is to try and figure out, okay, how can we get a Duke or a King character into a level one campaign in a way that's fun? And that's one way I want to answer. And the other way I want to answer is more of Nate's approach, which is the, let's not try to solve this necessarily with an in-game in game solution. Let's have an out-of-game conversation. Why do you want to play this character? What is the experience you hope to get out of playing this character? And, you know, maybe that conversation might have to end with deciding, yeah, this is not the right game for you to be playing in. Or maybe that conversation will result in like, oh, what you want is this kind of experience I can't have you be a king in my campaign, but, but maybe we can do something else to let you... Uh, maybe you just like the backstory element uh, that you're a king. Well, is there a way we can have you somehow exiled from your throne or something like that and give you a reason to be adventuring around with these lo- other level ones? Mm-hmm. My own experience is that in-game solutions to problems that are player problems, not in-game problems, they don't really work very well, and you end up having to have the awkward conversation anyway.
1: I wonder if, like, maybe one approach to figuring out what's going on is to say, like, okay, cool, you can be a king, but everybody else also gets to be a king. <laughs> like, right? it's like, yeah. And if you're not okay with that, then, like, then that kind of gives you your answer. But maybe maybe it's just like, well, I want to play Knights of the Round Table, right? Like, I want everybody to be yeah. super awesome in their own regard. It's like, okay, yeah, like, then you could work with that, but... I suspect, right, there might be elements of this is just going to be a painful experience unless there's a good conversation that happens beforehand.
0: Right. I know it's hard to talk about because it's not a bad thing if you're not the right player for the right game. You know, it's not, it can feel personal when you're having that confrontational conversation. It can make you feel bad to tell someone you're not a good fit for this game. But, you know, you really are not condemning or judging that person, you know, unless they're being completely outrageous in some way. You know, it's... um mm-hmm. Some people just want different things out of the games than other people do, and it's not always going to fit. I don't want to like name and shame anyone here or whatever, but have you as GMs had a situation like this where what a player wanted just kept was really clashing with what you had intended the campaign to be?
1: Yeah, that is tricky. Right, because I think like yeah, we don't <laughs> don't want to name and shame. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely had like I wouldn't say an entire entire character's whole thing <laughs> be being, being clashing, but like maybe like elements of it where it's just like oh, there's some friction here that I need to sort out. When that happens, I mean, I always wish I was more direct about it. Like, this is not compatible with the sort of <laughs> sort of game we're, you know, having. But I think, Andy, like you mentioned, I think um, my instinct, and probably everybody's instinct, is sort of to try to approach it in-game in some way. That can often come across as, like, railroading in the bad sense, or, uh, like, nerfing someone's character, or, like... Yeah, seeming, like, combative in a way that, uh, like, you're not doing to other <laughs> characters at the table. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's you have to tread lightly. And I think that is a good, it's a good opportunity, I think, when you're finding yourself being, like, wanting to misapply the rules or apply the rules in a different way to different characters. That's probably when you need to take a step back and be like, okay, like, what's what's really going on?
0: Yeah, I haven't really had this experience too much as GM, but I've been a player in numerous games where, there was somebody in the group that seemed to be just clashing um, with the, the tone and style of the game. And the one time that it ended really happily was uh, was in a science fiction game with someone who really wanted to be playing a much more kind of detail-focused, super tactically focused game than the rest of the group wanted to play. And that mm-hmm. ended happily because the game system had enough complexities in it that the GM was able to say, all right, nobody else cares about this level of detail, but you do. So you're in charge <laughs> of the ship. So yeah. between game sessions, you spend as much time as you want. He he would come to game sessions with a, a spreadsheet of like all the different <laughs> parts on the ship and the different pieces and components on the ship. And then the GM honored that interest of his by Whenever there was a question that the GM might normally have kind of fudged in the interest of story that had to do with this person's area of expertise, the spaceship, the GM would just toss the question to the player. So are we in range? Are we close enough that our short range sensors can pick this up? Well, I don't know. Joe, what's the sensor capacity of our ship? And then he would consult a spreadsheet or actually just answer from memory. And then (laughs) uh, and then that's great. That's a playable fact. And then the game can keep on rolling. It was an in-game solution, but it required an out-of-game conversation to say, this is what you want, and it's different from what everyone else wants, but we'll try and create an experience within our game that, that will be fun for you and not disruptive for the others. So, Any closing comments on that before we kind of move on to our design challenge?
1: i don't think so yeah other than just yeah thanks for writing in I, we really appreciate yeah hearing hearing from people just in general who are listening but then yeah having specific questions like that is just it's great yeah really like answering those. Yeah,
0: yeah thank you uh thanks very much nick for writing in we really appreciate it so yeah. all right hey without further ado let us turn our focus to the design challenge which i shall remind you was make the coolest boat it's like it's it's very specific and and really uh, open-ended and vague at the same time somehow so
1: um so i need to admit a lot of the design challenges just cuz we you know just started this up recently were ones that Andy and i created together so we put together you know a list of our design challenges that we had here I went in, I think today, and added the word "coolest" um, to, this, <laughs> to this design challenge <laughs> um, because I was thinking about it. And it's like you know, like make make a boat. I think was the the original one. I'm like, that's fine, and everything, but like let's let's make the coolest boat. So I think we're gonna do our traditional thing, which is define our genre that we want mm-hmm. to play in and then kind of take it from there so nate maybe i'll ask you is there anything that you've been thinking about lately like genre wise you know like maybe let's stick like outside of D D high fantasy
2: Ooh boy i mean i have been playing a bit of mortborg here and there Ooh, okay. so that might change it to the most metal boat
1: yeah <laughs> well that's yeah. pretty
0: cool metal is cool on this podcast
1: yeah um i like that let's see let's i mean yeah do you want to say like the most metal boat Um. <laughs> uh, i mean like well submarine there you go but
0: like <laughs> what if it's just a open-ended fantasy boat so it's not like a a spacecraft or something like that but like a boat that could appear in a fantasy campaign maybe a particularly open-ended fantasy campaign
1: okay i like the yeah the metal thing is making me think that maybe this boat is for like the big bad, right? Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Like, so is this is this a is this a bad boat or a good boat? And I'm going to say that boats can have alignment. <laughs> when this came
0: up, I immediately thought of uh, the Michael Moorcock Elric story, where Elric gets a pretty metal boat, and that boat is like an is an artifact or something that uh, he he gets by negotiating with uh, a deity and uh that boat went across sea and land but it, i don't think it hovered over the land it like plowed through it just went through it. the land yeah. as if it were water so that, that was pretty cool yeah, yeah. Uh, that like that boat was cool because of what it did but i think the boat itself sounded you know pretty regular boat looking but um yeah That was a very long winded way to answer your question. I like the idea of the boat as a sort of like a, a a unique artifact created Mm. bad or good. We can decide, but um, I like that it was made either for a specific purpose or to cater to somebody's very specific like design needs or desires.
1: Okay. So if it can go, let's, let's assume it can go on water. Like let's assume like it can do basic boat things. Uh, Nate, like what's one other thing you'd want the coolest boat to be able to do?
2: Ooh, I mean, I think it, like you said, a submarine, I think it should be able to go underwater as well.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah. How does it go underwater? Does it just, like, magically go underwater? Does it transform before mm-hmm. it can go underwater?
2: I mean, I feel like part of this boat should be organic in some way. Mm-hmm. So so maybe that as- aspect of the boat sort Is of... the whole thing alive? Maybe. Maybe the maybe boat has sort
0: of... to hold its breath, like, when it goes underwater. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> So I like some sort of transformation just because I see some dramatic possibilities in that. Okay. Like some kind of, some kind of process or transformation it has to undergo to, to move from like underwater
1: mode to surface mode. What if it was alive? The boat used to be some other being and, like was transformed into the boat. Oh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, maybe like the elements of its personality and stuff are, are represented on the boat in some fashion. Mm.
2: Thinking about the classic, what is it, the uh, classic Dr. Doolittle? Did, weren't they inside like a Nautilus that they traveled inside?
1: Oh, and then there's also like James and the Giant Peach, right? right? <laughs> the Giant Peach was a boat. <laughs> Technically a boat. What if it was
0: mostly mechanical for one of its modes, and the organic part of it like took over, became prominent when it went to the other mode? Uh, I don't know. Like it's a regular boat, but when it needs to go underwater, you a creature comes out and encompasses the boat and pulls it underwater or something. I don't know. I'm making sure. this up on the phone. Sure,
2: yeah. So maybe it's maybe it's like a uh, a bit like an iceberg, right? So you're seeing you're seeing the boat, but really what lies underneath the boat. Is this is this creature? And when it's time to go underwater, something comes up and envelops the boat from beneath, and then yeah. pulls it down. So maybe maybe the boat sits on top of some sort of giant jellyfish, yeah, or or manta, or maybe a manta ray, and the wings curl up and envelop the boat.
1: Oh, I like that. I like, I
0: like that. that. And they maybe envelop it with like a an air pocket for the crew or something. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah i think i like jellyfish right so like a jelly because jellyfish don't make any sense right like they're <laughs> they're terrifying right yeah but i mean you, you could kind of easily see them sort of like folding inside out and like and going
2: sealing up
1: and yeah, yeah sort yeah, of sealing
0: like up bubble. is it uh jellyfish are like portuguese man of what are like the floating things with like really long tendrils that that hang yeah i, th- I think
2: those are man of wars yeah okay mm-hmm
0: yeah, what if it's something like that? The creature itself doesn't need to be that big, but it's got these tendrils that drop way down, maybe even dragging on the uh, floor of the uh, body of
1: water, depending on how deep it is. Mm. What if it's what if it's just actually walking <laughs> along the bottom and like it's pulling pulling it along? So like, there's no sails or anything. Oh my goodness! It's just this like classic looking ship. With no sails that, like, somehow can move and, like, stop and, like, rotate and right. <laughs> kind of go wherever or, it wants to. It's I really I actually
0: really like that. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Oh, and, like, if if the waves are really going, the waves just sort of go and it just, like, stays in air as the waves are, like, crashing underneath it. And stuff, because, like, the jellyfish is just holding, <laughs> holding right. it up.
2: Right, like yeah. a buoy.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Imagine you're like you're going into battle with it against it, and it's just Mm -hmm. moving in ways that make no sense given the waves and the wind, uh, because you don't know it's being propelled by something underneath the surface. These are all fantastic ideas. Does anyone want to kind of make an executive decision here about what the nature of the boat is here?
1: I think this is good. Yeah. I think the executive decision is there, uh, we should define the, the jellyfish a little bit more, but there's some sort of jellyfish man of war that is carrying this, uh, this like boat, uh, boat shell on top of it. Like how big is the boat? Is this, is it a like cruise liner <laughs> size boat? Is it yeah like a dinghy? Like what?
0: My instinctive reaction is, you know, it's kind of a medium sized boat, something that a party of PCs could plausibly crew with a couple of with some henchmen, you know, it's a very different kind of boat if it's like an aircraft carrier with thousands of people on it, which is also cool. So I don't know, you guys... Mm -hmm. What do you guys think?
1: I mean, I'm I'm drawn to the aircraft carrier just because I think that that sort of short circuits my brain a little bit because I think I'm also thinking standard boat with ten person crew. Yeah. So I mean, if you go like aircraft carrier or floating barge, <laughs> like there's a, a sense of scale to that that's that's really cool to me.
0: Well, it it changes uh, in a good way from being just a vehicle or mode of transport for the PCs to being a location where entire adventures could take place mm-hmm. just within yeah. the context of the, of the boat.
2: It could be an entire, an entire city, you know, not just, a, not just a boat, but, you know, and that might explain, cause it probably wouldn't move terribly fast. So that might sort of balance that out if it's a city and mm-hmm. that it just sort of meanders.
1: Going back to the metal thing, like what if it's like a floating like rock concert (laughs) or something like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, what, what would the parties see, you know, like, so they're out in some sort of storm. And then all of a sudden this city is just sort of like moving through, (laughs) through the storm coming at them. Right. Like what would be, what would be the most terrifying thing for them to see?
2: Oh, a lot of bioluminescence for sure.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah and maybe
2: maybe maybe they don't see they don't see the jellyfish but they do see some of the tendrils which which come up and sort of curl around like you know like city lights like a light show yeah by yes. a luminescent light show. So who
0: lives on this boat if it's if it's kind of a city you know is it an intentional city that's and they are steering it around the ocean for p- their purposes is the creature in charge of its own movement and it's and maybe the city is just composed of everybody that crashed into it? Uh, and survived Mm -hmm. and swam over to it or something like who who's on this
1: boat yeah I think I think it's it's not intentional yeah it's not intentional in that like you can't like I don't know buy and sell real estate on it right like it's not it's not like that that sort of city but I think it's got to have some sort of other hook right like whether it's yeah it is like you were saying people who've crashed crashed on this thing and just sort of like they're the ones who survived or it's ghosts or it's you know some other deep sea creature
2: yeah i like that i like that the the idea that that you know ships would run aground on this gelatinous mass and they just get slowly absorbed into it yeah and, and then perhaps even the people to some degree could get absorbed in and, <laughs> you know and so then maybe it's almost like a hive mind or or there's some sort Ooh. of telepathic connection once you sort of get absorbed
1: would people who like didn't get absorbed who are like up on top like worship the thing like, right because like so there's a hive mind right it's probably talking and i don't know <laughs> talking <laughs> talking and screaming and all that that sort of stuff but like maybe there's people who are on top that like worship and take care of yeah. the thing. I mean now we're getting to like design a cool cult. But right. like <laughs> Yeah. Well I think if it's if given its scale,
0: you could have a couple of different factions to make for some good drama. You could have a faction of kind of caretakers who are kind of tend to it. Maybe they actually are kind of the symbiotic sea creatures that live with this thing. Or maybe they're just a faction of people that washed up and decided to to care for it. And then you could maybe have some people that have gone overboard in a metaphorical sense and are <laughs> uh, worshiping it like you say like a cult and then maybe mm-hmm. there's another group that's doesn't consider it mystical or anything it's just they're trying to figure out how to control it you could have quite a few different approaches represented by different factions or individuals yeah oh
1: i like all that maybe just to like i mean ground it like <laughs> ground it a little bit like what if there are a lot of creatures sort of like this right so there's a lot of jellyfish sort of like this and there's just some sort of natural like thing on its head that sort of looks like a boat right and so this <laughs> is how it all started okay right? so yeah. there's like a lot of these like small versions of it sort of going around but this one for whatever reason someone's like oh i'm going to try to ride that thing but then accidentally fell and got kind of like subsumed into it, <laughs> yeah. into the jellyfish and it just sort of like you know like you were saying nate it's just sort of like as time went on more and more stuff clombed onto it so at the center of it there's still like a boat but there's also just like all this other stuff broken boats that are sort of attached um what have you probably the people who live on top of it that are worshiping it are also trying to like gather more materials and stuff was there a I feel like an elric this might have also been an elric thing there were boats that were essentially just giant pyramids yes
0: the uh, the, the boats of his native people are giant golden pyramids i think
1: Okay. and Now we're all gonna have to try to say "melnibidian." Yes, I, I specifically was trying
0: to avoid having to try and pronounce that uh, and embarrass myself. Yeah. Uh, is the giant jellyfish is it alive? So I was like, one metal approaches. It's like an un, it's undead and powered by unholy energies. That at least one of the yeah. factions is has is responsible for keeping flowing. I think yeah, undead. Okay. What do you think, Nate?
1: Undead, undead
0: jellyfish. So. <laughs> What, what keeps it moving? What runs the jellyfish?
2: So maybe there are vents at the bottom of the sea that, that open up into uh, another plane. Or maybe the mm-hmm. abyss. And so the, the, the jellyfish is constantly pulling itself along, trying to, trying to get those tendrils and get that nasty, nasty abyssal energy.
1: Oh, <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Maybe this is something the, the players could figure out later. Like is it filtering out like abyssal energy from, from other planes as it's moving ar- moving along? So it's like if you if you accidentally kill this thing, you actually um it's been keeping something much worse at bay.
2: Wow, so it's like it's like the fish in the fish tank that eats the algae off the sides.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's been keeping back all the kaiju from <laughs> up <to in> from <laughs> that's awesome. Can you control it right, or like is it is it uncontrolled? I guess so we decide that? I don't mean there's not going to be like a steering wheel on it, right? But like, could you maneuver it? I think that it's too good of a plot
0: to pass up that like a bad guy is trying to unlock the secret to controlling to controlling mm-hmm. it and and using it for their nefarious purposes. So I my instinct is to say that it's kind of just moving around by instinct, just pulled to the next cluster of abyssal energy or whatever it is. But that at least, you know, one or more factions is hard at work trying to figure out how to get control of it.
2: What if this one is not the only one, but this is the outlier undead version, and there are more versions of this uh, with other sort of towns on them that sort of glom together like every mating season to become like a city and then the people trade and then come apart and oh. then this is sort of the strange undead zombie version that's been corrupted.
1: Oh, I like that a lot. This is like Waterworld if it was good. Right. This yeah. is yeah, this is sort of
2: spiraling out into like campaign fodder. <laughs> yeah, know, right. building.
1: Yeah. I guess um so one thing I'm I'm struggling with is so if you if these are not controllable like easily, does it still fit the d- definition of a boat? I mean, like we're we're pretty far afield from the like what a boat <laughs> a boat is, but I feel like there's got to be some core elements to like I don't know. You could identify this as a boat that we right. should stick with. Okay, so, sure. Oh, and what would the characters get out of it? What would yeah. they
2: you know? What would appeal to them?
1: Yeah, I mean, you could like a, a simple way. I mean, I think. I would drop this into a campaign. Like if you wanted this not to be the whole campaign is there is some sort of like cross oceanic journey they need to take. And it's like, well, you can either take a boat, right? And that's going to take you a couple months and it might, you know, like you might crash and die and stuff. Or you can take the unholy jellyfish boat. (laughs) It'll get you there a lot faster. And there's only a little bit of abyssal energy you need to deal with.
0: What if there's something on the surface of the ocean where it would be beneficial if you needed to go under it periodically if that if that greatly Mm -hmm. sped up or simplified your across the ocean journey maybe there's like big gigantic beds of you know dangerous kelp or seaweed type stuff uh, on the surface and it's really really difficult to navigate it only on the surface but if you could occasionally submerge and go under you could save a lot of time.
1: Yeah, or there's just like you know a ton of storms out in the middle, or some wizard has frozen the ocean. Yeah, in yeah, fill in your yeah. your catastrophe. I guess. Wondering too, like, so if it can go underwater, it does beg the question of like what other stuff you could find underwater too. It's like yeah, so if you take if you take your boat across the ocean. You just, you know, roll a d20 a couple of times to see if you make it. But yeah, but if you go underwater, like maybe there's an underwater city they can see, you know, like there's a, a Leviathan they can hunt, you know, like all sorts of all sorts of fun stuff can be.
0: You're You're right that it probably does need to be kind of controllable. Mm. I wonder if control is just difficult, like if it's difficult yeah. to keep it from drifting off course towards the nearest uh, abyssal energy concentration it isn't too hard to get it moving where you want it to go and and to trigger it to submerge when you want but there there would be plenty of opportunity for the gm to you know throw in a complication like it's 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 decided it's just being stubborn today it's moving in the wrong direction or somebody else on the boat is trying to countermand the order you're giving it that sort of thing
1: yeah yeah it's like a horse or something. Yeah, I could
2: definitely see this in a in a fantasy setting where there would be, you know, using using magic as as sort of the carrot to lead it right. Yeah. You know, ca- sort of casting spells or, or or you know, opening up rifts in the plane to, to just sort of draw it forward. Yeah. Ta- you know.
1: Oh, that's cool. Maybe it takes like twelve wizards to keep it in a straight line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And guess what? One of the wizards just died. <laughs> right <laughs> so what are some plot uh,
0: ideas that could kick off an adventure where you would encounter this boat
1: i mean i think i liked the we talked about you know there's some sort of storm at sea and that's the first sighting of it i think you could have um some good rumors right like just rumors of this thing you know people who like maybe there's one person who got off got off and swam to shore
2: yeah, or you could just, you know, sneak it up on them. You know, like they just wake up one morning and they, they think they're in the doldrums. They're not moving yeah. properly. They don't know what's going on. And so there's a bit of investigation, you know, to find out that they've just they've just sort of hit the very tip of this thing. And it's mm. sort of keeping them in place. So it seems very innocent, strange, but innocent to, till they investigate.
0: Maybe in the same way that we know there are giant squids because occasionally pieces of them wash up on shore but that we can't mm-hmm. easily go out and spot them maybe we know these creatures exist because this is here's this giant dead one and mm-hmm. maybe the plot is to to try and find that mythical like that annual joining together that Nate described or something like that
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's good and you know it occurs to me you you know you could scale this up or down i think this could work well with like a 100 person crew or with a 2000 person crew depending on what whether you wanted it to be more like a floating city
1: or more like a boat. I mean, heck, you could even do like a, a canoe size version of this, I think, and that would also be pretty cool <laughs> to run across, right? Like the same, right. with all the same other stats and stuff that we've talked about. It's like, yeah, I mean, if that's all your campaign calls for.
0: All right, well, anything to add here or have we created our coolest boat? Is this, is this the coolest boat? Is there something that in your heart of hearts you know would make this boat cooler that you have been scared to share with the rest of us in this conversation. <laughs> so now it's time to come out with yeah. what you really actually think would make this boat cooler.
1: Yeah, I think it'd be cooler if it was a giant skull with, like, the top part of it cut off.
0: <laughs> it, it's, I was going to say the exact same thing. We did say metal, okay. and there needs to be s- skulls. I mean, yeah.
2: Well, maybe it. Maybe it's like a hermit crab, and, it, and it's picked up like a titan skull somewhere. And so it is just yes. literally rolling with this giant <laughs> skull sitting on top of it.
1: That's pretty. Yeah, it's a jellyfish. It's gone inside the skull. Is like yeah, armor. Or something. Yeah. What if you just see a
0: skull f- like floating across the surface of the ocean? That's cool.
1: That's pretty. Yeah, it. like sucking in abyssal energy through like its eye sockets. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think that is that's a perfect. I think that's a perfect place to end. I, I think so. <laughs> I don't, so. I don't know gonna how we're cool. going to really come up with something cooler than that. That was super fun. Yeah, thanks, Nate, for indulging us on that one. That's a cool boat. Uh, is that like? I, so I haven't played Morkborg before. Is that the sort of thing that would slot in there nicely?
2: I mean, I think you would really have to ratchet up the the dark, gloomy, nasty factor, maybe beyond mm-hmm. family friendly. Okay, <laughs> sure. <yeah>. all right. <laughs> depending uh, on your group, but uh, you know. Let's make it a little yeah. more horrible. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, use your imaginations, uh, listeners, I suppose, and make make it as
2: horrible as you want. We won't judge you.
0: So, hey, before we move on too far, though, we need to replace this design challenge uh, yes. with a new one. So, Nate, I'm wondering, uh, putting you on the spot here a little bit, do you have a design challenge we can add to our table of design challenges to take the place of this one?
2: Yeah. Well, originally I was thinking... Uh... To the, the challenge could be to create uh, an unusual mode of transportation that the PCs okay. had to master in order mm-hmm. to uh, to achieve uh, a goal. But I think we might have just done that.
1: I think we did, yeah. <laughs>
2: um, so I was thinking, um, create a scenario in, in which you as a GM uh, use an actual performance uh, to propel the story. Oh,
0: okay.
1: Mm. Okay. All right. That's great. That's a good one. We'll add it in. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, Nate, for coming. Yeah. Everybody who is listening. Yeah. We really appreciate it. Um, Yeah. uh, As evidenced by the first part of this, this episode, if you have questions, feel free to send them in. Um, If you have ideas for a design challenge we can add to the table, feel free to contact us. I think our emails are on the website. Um, Yeah. So you can find that at gmdiscussions.com. Roll for topic is part of the roll for it podcasting network. Our sister podcast, The Splat Book, can be found at thesplatbook.com, and that's put out by Kyle Latino and John Corey. We actually had an extra special message for John this week. We just wanted to let him know that there's a new Kickstarter that just came out for a game called Blade Runner. Um, I think it's based on some movie, uh, something like that. Uh, But anyway, you can find it on kickstarter.com. I'm sure if you just go there and search for for Blade Runner, it'll pop right up, and then uh, you can go ahead and back it. I have been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rao. And again, thank you, Nate.
2: Thank you. Thanks for
1: having me. And remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM.